Wall Street is full of corruption and it is baked in to every aspect of our society. MMT is a lens by which you assess all economic understanding at the macro level. In the 1900s, Lenin was predicting global finance capital would do all the things it's doing today. This was written over a hundred years ago. This is The Rogue Scholar with Steve Grumbine. All right, everybody, it is Steve, and I'm going to talk about a subject that I got a little bit of pushback for. I want to clarify uh, some very important things, especially about the role of neoliberalism and fascism and the relationship between the two. So it's obvious that fascism is something that's horrible. You know, it's bred on, you know, extreme nationalism. It's bred on scapegoating. It's bred on extreme fiscal austerity and kind of drumming up that, you know, that whole white nationalism. It's not exactly that. That's a component, could be a component of it. And I'm sure there could be black fascists out there. I'm sure there could be nations that are like this. But in the type of situations we see out there, they're usually some sort of white jackbooted thugs on and on and on, right? But fascism usually emanates from extreme, extreme poverty and extreme uh, austerity where they don't feel like there's any alternative. Now, you always have fascists. You always have racists. You always have bigots. You always have people that are mean-spirited, that uh, lack any kind of charitable impulses, etc. Those people exist in any and all societies, human beings have this tendency, okay? However, in a much larger scale, in a much larger way, people that are not necessarily given to fascism become more open to fascism as the economic conditions become oppressive, as people stop seeing hope they start looking around for reasons why there's no hope, reasons why things are not working out. And that's when the fascists really, really come into play. The Ben Shapiro's of the world, the Jordan Peterson's of the world, the Donald Trump's of the world. All these folks start coming in during times where things are really, really fucked up and challenging where one group feels like they're losing their place in society, and then they end up getting backfilled, if you will, with neoliberalism. Neoliberalism, Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan in particular. Okay, now there's neoliberals that created the school of thought before them, but Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan were the ones that literally put the steroids on neoliberalism as not just a U.S. phenomenon, but as a global phenomenon. Margaret Thatcher was very, very clear in her statement that there is no alternative, that there is no public money. There is only taxpayer money. And it was in this kind of mythology of free markets, privatization, et cetera, that people really started getting left behind in droves, mass quantities of people started getting left behind in droves. And what was normally seen as a perfectly acceptable 
you know, balance between regular people and understanding that everything isn't going to go perfectly went to an extreme as you watched income inequality just completely blow up under Reagan. Okay. And so what happens whenever people watch as Democrats put on this, there is no alternative approach to economics. Okay. George Bush did it as well. And this is what created the rise of the Tea Party. Okay. The backlash against Bush was the rise up of the Tea Party. The Tea Party rose up because Bush was seen as this compassionate conservative. He wasn't holding to the Constitution. He wasn't holding to all these things. He wasn't this like dictatorial um, kind of strong man. He was kind of a doofus, right? A little bit of a, a goofball. But the Tea Party was looking for someone that was really, really, really kind of mean-spirited and just absolutely dead set on this whole nationalism thing, on this whole, you know, austerity thing, you name it. They wanted to see people literally, if you didn't make enough money, if you didn't have a good job, it's your fault. You're a bad person. Okay. This kind of thinking. And so as the Tea Party rose up and Occupy Wall Street rose up and they sort of had some common threads, right? We had some common threads that were all about attacking the Federal Reserve. They were about attacking private banking and uh, the IMF and, you know, all kinds of other aspects of financialization, which is why it was Occupy Wall Street. Okay. But the combination of the two had a lot of these libertarian sorts that had their own goals and objectives that had nothing to do with advancing the public purpose with, had nothing to do with advancing, uh, you know, a robust public sector. It had everything to do with reducing spending, literally getting rid of the deficit, cutting, eliminating the national debt. It had to do with everything that creates very, very harsh, harsh conditions, economic conditions. Now, again, you have a lot of weird fringe people, okay? These these bad fascists, these 24 by 7 fascists, doesn't matter when in the cycle it is they are fascist they are always going to be fascist and that's what they value that's how they see the world etc those individuals are so rare they're not in the billions of people this is a small minority of people the always a fascist person is not the the vast majority of people the vast majority of people are downtrodden beat up, desperate, sad, fearful, whatever, right? And so when you have that next tier of people, because of the conditions around them, they start looking for scapegoats. And that's when they say, these goddamn immigrants are coming in and taking my job. Well, why are we always giving black and brown people free benefits? I'm missing teeth. I'm poor. I'm broke. I'm this and that. And all of a sudden they start looking people that speak that language because they found their scapegoat. They found their scapegoat. And what happens? Neoliberalism gives benefits to some, scapegoats others. And when the scapegoated group decides they've had enough of being the ones that they are blamed for everything, They start doubling down and they go after 
the protected classes that they see as going after them. This is not to excuse fascism in any way, shape, or form. But fascism's rise requires a lot of people, okay? Fascism doesn't just come to be because there's a handful of people off in a corner being hateful and bigots. The fascism is bred by something. Because as you see, as the conditions rise up where there is no alternative and people are desperate and they start looking for that scapegoat, they will find a scapegoat. They will always find a scapegoat. And this is what gave rise to Donald Trump. Okay. All those people, rightly or wrongly, felt like they had been left behind, that they weren't being heard, that they were being ignored. And there was Donald Trump that says, I'll listen to you. I hear you. We're going to make America great again, the way that you thought it should always be. And when Donald Trump didn't make it great for everyone, when you started seeing black and brown people scapegoated and gay people scapegoated and uh, trans people scapegoated and and the borders being scapegoated and the Wuhan uh, virus and all the other racist kind of baiting type things that Trump did, people latched onto that because they were looking for an accountable response. That doesn't mean the accountable response was correct. It just means that people that are misled and propagandized, that have no hope, look for hope wherever hope can be found. And then when you had Bernie Sanders leading the charge in the second round against Donald Trump, and Bernie Sanders looked like he was going to win, I mean, he was kicking ass, right, in the beginning. Everybody thought, oh, my God. Bernie, I think it may happen. Bernie may win. Biden's nowhere to be found. Freaking Kamala Harris isn't doing shit. Klobuchar isn't doing shit. None of these people, Buttigieg isn't doing shit. None of them are doing shit. Then all of a sudden, Clyburn and Clinton and Obama and everybody else put the clamps down and suddenly elevated this dude that couldn't lace two words together in Biden. Well, if you look at Biden's track record, Biden's track record has always been one of austerity, one of neoliberal pain and suffering, one of makers and takers. This whole concept of privatization, he has been at the forefront of this for his entire career. And Biden had been rejected every single time he ran for office, always rejected. But here we had a populist who understood what the people were asking for in Bernie Sanders. And he was subsequently pushed away. Now, whether you believe that the election was real or anything else like that, doesn't really matter. The point is that the rank and file people did. The rank and file people saw democracy taken from them. The rank and file people saw nobody wanted Joe Biden. Joe Biden didn't even register on a a Doppler in um, Iowa. Definitely didn't register on a Doppler up there in New Hampshire. Biden didn't register a blip on anyone's radar because he was freaking hiding in a basement somewhere. I mean, literally, Biden had no prayer. 
but enter Joe Biden. And everybody's saying Biden's going to be the most progressive president in the history of mankind, more progressive than even FDR, the most progressive. Okay. And everybody saw Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez climbing up on Pelosi's desk with the Sunrise Movement at her heels. Everybody thought, wow, progressives are rising up. But that didn't happen. Through this pandemic, we have seen absolute fecklessness. We have seen nothing valuable happen. We've seen nothing but excuses happen. We have seen Build Back Better burn down in a a, a period, just nothing, a giant nothing burger. We've seen healthcare completely not happen. We have seen pandemic check relief not happen. We saw Biden lie about checks, getting Warnock and the gang down there. uh, I can't remember the other cat's name, but down there in Georgia. We saw all the promises made, none of it happened. No minimum wage increase happened. Absolutely no student debt relief of any substance happened. He said flat out, I'm not supporting a green news. That went out the window. He said, I'm not supporting Medicare for all. That went out the window. So every aspect of what we wanted went out the window. And lo and behold, inflation started. And Joe Biden didn't have an answer for it, still doesn't have an answer for it. And the answer, of course, that the Fed is going to deploy is one of the 1970s with Paul Volcker and raising interest rates. So all of this oppresses society, literally oppresses society. And those who are struggling and those who didn't like the mask mandate or whatever else start scooting further to the fascist side start finding value in fascism, start believing the fascists, start not realizing that there's a real difference. And then they start coming up with this whole idea of, you know, conservative, liberal, whatever. It's all the same, two wings of the same bird, some bullshit, right? To excuse fascism. The fact is, is that two things can be true at the same time. Biden is completely feckless and a neoliberal and has created the conditions that have created many unwitting fascists, many people sympathetic to fascism because of the fact that there is no hope. This guy was supposed to be the most progressive president since FDR. And what did you end up getting? You ended up getting kicked in the nutsack. So people who are not as principled, who maybe don't don't understand what's going on, suddenly they start saying, hey, All my hatred for Wall Street can be put aside. Let me invest in some crypto. Okay. So now they're around the crypto fascists. The same privatization schemes that fascists love, they're starting to suckle into that. That extreme privatization narrative where the government can do no right. And so everything needs to be privatized. Little by little by little, the seeds of fascism creep into their brains, okay? This is not to say that fascism doesn't doesn't exist in absence of neoliberalism. It absolutely does. But if you've got five people standing on the corner holding signs going, yay, 
That's not a movement. But when you've got millions of people suddenly buying into it, because the quote-unquote good guys that are advancing neoliberalism have betrayed you on every single level, all of a sudden, the knee-jerk response to become fascist or to suckle into fascism becomes that much more palatable, and you stop seeing them for the enemy they are, and you start saying, hey, an enemy of neoliberalism's got to be a good guy, even if they're purveying something just as bad, if not worse. Because, see, ultimately, this is the thing with conservatism, and this is the thing with fascism as a whole, okay? A lot of the conclusions they come to, it's like, yes, this is true, yes, this is true, and all of a sudden they leap somewhere completely off the map to something that's completely not true, okay? It's the logical leaps that go through all of this stuff. But it makes sense to them. Because after all, if government were good, then why don't we have these things? It's kind of like, well, if God really exists, why do people, good things happen to, you know, bad things happen to good people or whatever, right? That's the same leap of logic. Well, if government could do anything right, why wouldn't it regulate the banks? Why wouldn't it regulate, you know, extreme profit? Why wouldn't it regulate monopolies out of existence? Why wouldn't it this? Why wouldn't it that? And ultimately, neoliberalism creates the seeds, creates the entire framework for a transition to fascism. That's why I call neoliberalism proto-fascism. And there are a ton of articles out there, ton of articles out there that talk about this. You know, and, and, and I, I'm going to pull up a couple of them. I'm not going to read them all because I think that it's probably, you know, insane for people to not get this at this point. But I'm going to show it to you anyway. This right here, this one that I'm about to show you, is a article from Counterpunch. And I'm hoping that people realize that what I'm showing you here is in no way, shape, or form, you know, intended to be like, uh, I don't know, some sort of be-all, end-all. I mean, this is ultimately a, a just a true statement, okay? This is just true a true statement. So this one is January 15th. Uh, 2021 neoliberalism is fascism with better manners. I'm gonna, I, I will read this one to you. The use of the New York Times is, excuse me, the best use of the New York Times is usually catching up on the CIA's talking points for the day. However, back in June 2019, it published a surprisingly hard hitting article on Joe Biden's history of crafting and promoting the odious bill that created modern militarized police and carceral state. The money shot is a quote from Mr. Biden, where he seemingly takes credit for mass incarceration. Every major crime bill since 1976 that's come out of this Congress, every minor crime bill has had the name of the Democratic senator from the state of Delaware, Joe Biden. With Mr. Biden currently drafting domestic terrorism legislation, alarm bells should be sounding. Considered along with his contribution to the Patriot Act, the National Security and Surveillance State wish list passed in the aftermath of 9-11, Mr. Biden appears to be the central protagonist linking domestic political repression to the neoliberal project. 
Ava DuVernay film, The 13th, does a good job giving political and economic context to the American conception and political utility of crime. The 1994 crime bill written by Mr. Biden created by the means by which to force conformity to the dictates of capital. That Mr. Biden appears to have seen law enforcement as a moral endeavor speaks to the hiddenness of its basis of economic production. This tie of neoliberalism to fascism and political repression comes courtesy of Italian fascist Benito Mussolini. Mr. Mussolini defined fascism following from Giovanni Gentile as a merger of corporate and state power. The Patriot Act gives the federal government, not just the FBI as it is generally reported, access to all of the information being gathered by ISPs, internet service providers, and social media platforms. Whatever else it is, social media is an information warehouse of political repression. And the tie of the state to corporate power defines the relationship as fascism. While Mussolini's definition may read as too generic and bloodless to be of much value, two points. The 1994 crime bill that Mr. Biden authored produced massive political violence against mostly poor people. Given racial composition by class through the identitarian lens favored by neoliberal Democrats, the crime bill makes Mr. Biden one of the most ardent racists of the 20th century. And while the merger of corporate and state power might read like a definition of ordinary industrial policy, it gives motive to the preponderance of the Nazis' military expansionism. Look at this. I don't know if y'all can see that. Let me take a look, see how you can see it. Yeah, you can see that. It's pretty, pretty there, pretty right there. That is insane, okay? But this is your Joe Biden. And you wonder why people are sweating the whole concept of neoliberalism begetting fascism. Well, that is a really good picture right there, okay? So let's go down here. I'll just read what the graph says. Graph data from 1926 to 2016 illustrates the onset of mass incarceration in the United States, which produced the largest relative absolute carceral populations in the world. This paradox of the land of the free has its source in domestic political repression. Richard Nixon created the war on drugs to use against political enemies. Ronald Reagan put teeth into the effort by applying state resources to the war on drugs. And Joe Biden wrote the actual legislation of mass incarceration, turning Nixon's waking nightmare into social policy, source prison policy initiative. So the liberal view of that the political violence caused by the 94 crime bill is neither political nor violence is based in radical ignorance. Richard Nixon conceived of the war on drugs to control his political enemies. Ronald Reagan gathered the resources to prosecute it, and Joe Biden wrote the legislation that gave it institutional force. In my neighborhood, three generations of community elders will spend the rest of their lives in prison, leaving behind spouses and children to fend for themselves in the post-industrial wastelands that neoliberalism has wrought. Again, the war on drugs that put them there was a political strategy, not a moral crusade. The term public-private partnership reads like a relatively innocuous form of pooling resources to achieve social outcomes. Though the neoliberal ethos, or through the neoliberal ethos, the distinction between the public and private realms has been fading as private corporations have been hired to provide public services such as education through charter schools, incarceration, 
through private prisons and military functions like producing material and increasingly active combat. Political debate regarding these arrangements is centered on their efficacy more than their form. That this public-private amalgam is central to the definition of fascism tends to be parsed through perceptions of motives. One of the revelations that emerged from the Church Committee hearings in 1975 was that the CIA had spied on and infiltrated anti-war groups to undermine them politically. It was thereafter precluded from acting against U.S. citizens domestically, but a loophole was left open that it could contract with private corporations to perform the domestic political functions it had formally carried out itself. So in 2001, within weeks of 9-11, the Patriot Act codified the CIA's ability to work with ISPs, internet service providers, and platforms like Facebook and Twitter to collect and use nominally private information for internally defined purposes. From the ACLU, the Patriot Act increases the government's surveillance powers in four areas, record searches, it expands the government's ability to look at the records of an individual's activity being held by a third party. Search, secret searches, it expands the government's ability to search private property without notice to the owner. Intelligence searches, it expands a narrow exception to the Fourth Amendment that had been created for the collection of foreign intelligence information. Trap and trace searches, it expands another Fourth Amendment exception for spying that collects addressing information about the origin and destination of communications as opposed to the content. Patriot Act, which President-elect Joe Biden claims to have written, both codifies the corporate state form and gives it an explicitly political character. Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg testified publicly that the company using data mining techniques to create political profiles of both its users and people who have never had a relationship with the company. To be clear, Facebook is profiling everyone. Through supplying this information to the American government, the CIA, FBI, NSA, etc., to be used toward political ends, the entire technology industry was made a de facto branch of the federal government. This is neoliberalism. This is fascism. Sorry, folks. It may not rub you right, but it's real. Conceiving this relationship within the liberal frame of civil liberties is to misunderstand the political economic form that it takes. The technology industry has grown in close symbiosis with the federal government through research and development undertaken by the government that was handed over to nominally private technology companies to commercialize. Facebook, Twitter, and the internet, for that matter, grew as commercial enterprises in proportion to the federal government's ability to gather intelligence and disseminate propaganda through them. Facebook is one of a host of nominally private technology corporations that uses profiles of people, not just its users, to craft social outcomes conducive to the ends that either it or its customers determine. This upends the defensive conception of privacy of the Bill of Rights as freedom from unwanted government spying and seizures to place technology companies as propagandists acting on behalf of their customers through social media. Per the Patriot Act, the federal government and its agencies are explicitly permitted to be Facebook customers to ends that they determine. Folks, I hope this is sticking with you because this is important. 
This ties to the 20th century conception of fascism as the merging of corporate with state power, not simply in form, but in purpose as well. Russiagate was a prime example of this relationship as nominally private media corporations amplified the claims of the American intelligence agencies that were operating in political capacity. The domestic goals of the intelligence agencies appear to have been counteract broad-based political disaffection through stroking reactionary nationalism. Wow. The foreign policy objective appears to have been to mitigate growing economic ties between neoliberal petro-state Russia and the dominant nations of Europe. The political posture of Russiagate as a united front against illiberalism, fascism even, is ironic both in the sense of the radical illiberalism, unhinged nationalism to be specific, that it stoked as well as the caricature of European fascism that it promoted. Despite hysterical warnings from the intelligence agencies in the run-up to the 2020 election that the Russian intelligence services were going to interfere on behalf of Donald Trump, once it was evident that Joe Biden had won, all assertions of malevolent foreign actors ceased. Since then, both Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi have repeatedly charged that Putin is behind domestic political dissent. In history, it was Democrat Bill Clinton, along with Joe Biden, who was able to pass the Republican agenda that included deregulating Wall Street, facilitating the consolidation of media ownership, cutting social welfare programs, militarizing the police, and greatly increasing the scale and scope of the carceral state. After leading Republicans had been unable to, while the CIA was born, Republican Alan Dulles was a committed Republican. It has been liberal Democrats who have been more effective in selling neoliberalism. That neoliberalism is the reigning ideology of power in the United States explains the desire, its restoration. Hmm, I'm not sure about all that. I don't know that sentence didn't roll off the tongue very well. Class distribution of uh, ideology. And, and this right here, I'm interested in the ruling class, the PMC, professional managerial class, the working class, the poor. And here's the fascists and here's the socialists. And you can see very, very small amounts of people based on the uh, distributions. And I'm just looking at this for the first time because I didn't really assess it before I went through this. Something definitely to chew on. But you can see clearly, you can see clearly that these two have far more in common than these two. Huh, interesting. I'll just read what the chart says. Through five decades of instantiation, neoliberalism is now the religion in the United States, the focus of the political left on the street theater uh, and localized violence of racist, neo-Confederate, and neo-fascist groups is a sideshow relative to the propensity that neoliberal institutions have to commit political violence. Ironically or not, claims that Koch-related right-wing organizations are tied to fascist street violence miss that the Koch family brand of fascism is called neoliberalism. Papa Koch uh, introduced economist and co-founder of neoliberalism, Friedrich Hayek, to the John Birch Society. The irony lies in the posture of neoliberalism in opposition to fascism. For the record, 
all of the leading Democrats are neoliberals. The argument of capitalist economists throughout the Great Depression was that 25 million people decided to quit their jobs in unison so they could beg for money in the streets. They had no alternative explanation, so they held fast to the economic dogma of the time. The contemporary equivalent is that, sure, government policies enacted at the behest of connected industrialists and financiers deindustrialized and thereby economically eviscerated much of the country over the last five decades. But where the hell did all these fascists come from? Of course, the story is more complicated than this. As the graph above illustrates, because I created it to, the class distribution of fascists probably runs, if history is a guide, from the ruling class to the poor. Of relevance is that one, ruling class fascists have social power while working class and poor fascists don't. Neoliberalism is the state religion, not fascism. And however this gets resolved with an existing distribution of power will be a function of what the ruling class decides, not what working class poor people decide. This ruling class working through is what Joe Biden was elected to be a front for. Get that affront, meaning fake. The unwillingness of liberals and the self-described left to come to terms with the political violence that neoliberal political center is responsible for is ultimately deference to power. Madeleine Albright starved half a million Iraqi children to death for the Clinton administration, but she still has credibility to call other people fascists. George W. Bush killed between 400,000 and 3 million people in the misguided U.S. venture adventure in Iraq, but he can show his face as in respectable society. Joe Biden is, according to his own words, uniquely responsible for destroying millions of lives through mass incarceration, but he has the plausibility to restore decency. This ongoing crisis of legitimacy will only be resolved by holding existing power to account. The point of the illustration above is to identify power separate from the ideology that Americans tend to associate it with. This task won't be undertaken by the political class, and it won't, be it won't take place within the existing distribution of power. Therefore, the crisis of legitimacy is destined to persist. Revolutionaries don't cause revolutions. Concentrated political and economic power does. This concentrated power is the problem in need of resolution, but closing down dissent is probably the, is the most probable near-term solution. All right, so let's, let's take a second and talk about this. Let's go back to this very important thing, okay? Ultimately, here, let me go ahead and give you the article that I'm reading from, and there's many more, but I chose this one to be my talking point for today. I, I mean, I can give you tons and tons and tons of these um, to, to show you this. Okay. Ultimately, economic neoliberalism got several very, very key factors. Number one, austerity. Number two, identity politics. Number three, scapegoating. Number four, we have the conflation of the state and industry as one entity. The interest of business has taken over control, has captured, if you will, our government. That is the championship of the Democratic Party and in co concert with the Republicans, quite frankly. They only really come into conflict when the goal is to, quote unquote, help the people. 
Okay. Now, when you purposely set the stage for fake populism, for fake programs not intended to help people, when you see people like Elizabeth Warren talking about selling markets for green energy as opposed to just making it government sponsored green energy, you go back to the Pete Buttigieg. Uh, uh, thing on formulas. I'll show that to you momentarily here, just so that you understand, because I, as much as I hate explaining this again and again, I feel like it needs to be explained again and again. And that sucks, but it, it seems to not stick very well. So I'm going to show you right now, another article that I showed last night in my stream. And I'm hoping that you guys will be able to see this still had it up on my screen. Didn't even have to undo it. This right here is right here, 100% neoliberalism. And this right here is him saying, hey, ultimately, we're, the government shouldn't be in the business of making baby formula. The government shouldn't be in the business of helping people like that. That's up to the private sector to do, right? So the government has deferred everything to the private sector while simultaneously propping up these public-private partnerships. These public-private partnerships always benefit the wealthy and never help regular people, ever help regular people, okay? Now, if you already are a disaffected purple person, in other words, you're an independent, places like Pennsylvania swing back and forth between Democrat and Republican control, not because these people are fascists or because they are what they, they do it because this party didn't give us what we needed. Let's go back to the other side and we'll go back to the other side because that party, they're crazy. They had power. They acted like fools. Now we're back over here. It's kind of like a ping pong ball effect between two feckless neoliberal parties that are advancing fascism through different, different means. Okay. Trump is appealing to poor white people, mostly poor white people that are literally want to be one step above the pig slop. Can't imagine that slaves have somehow or another advanced beyond them. And this is all baked into a lot of Southern thinking. And every time a political project comes out that is an advancement of an identity, whatever that identity might be, the people that once had no longer have see that as someone taking their lunch. And this is not an accident. This right here is scapegoating, and this is baked into neoliberalism, and it's baked into fascism. Okay? So when you bring a country together that has two parties that serve capital, there's not a single party out there in the United States that serves the people. Both parties are capitalist parties. Okay? Both parties celebrate neoliberalism. Both parties celebrate militarism. Both parties celebrate law and order. Both parties celebrate tough on crime. Both parties celebrate bootstraps. Okay. Both parties celebrate all the things that make for fascism, like we talked about within the Benito Mussolini realm. It seems far fetched. We're not even going to use Adolf Hitler because all of a sudden you get Godwin's law and people get caught up in their feels. But when you think about this, Regular people, I mean, let's go back to Bacon's Rebellion. It's been a while since I broke Bacon's Rebellion out. Bacon's Rebellion is a very important key case study. 
Bacon's Rebellion was a, a situation many, many moons ago, 1600s, whatever, and you had the colonies coming together, and you had black and white people working together, slaves, indentured servants, poor people, whatever, coming together to create a unified front. And you know how they broke the unified front? They gave the poor white slobs like a nickel more of benefits. And that was enough to disrupt the solidarity there. Okay. So what happens when you lose that five cents of difference between you and the poor black person below you, when you're one of these white people, all of a sudden it must be the black guys taking away your stuff. You can even see this within the ADOS movement. And I have a lot of sympathies for the ADOS movement. I support their desire for reparations, et cetera. But one of the things that many in the ADOS movement champion that I don't support is the demonization of immigrants. But if you understand why they feel that way, you understand this is proto-fascism as well. Because the United States government purposely allows there to be a war for resources between the poor blacks and other folks in this country and immigrants, the immigrants then become the target of their frustration. That's, that's who's taking their lunch. That's who's taking their job. That's who's taking all the benefits. But those of us who understand neoliberalism and fascism, and more importantly, modern monetary theory know that this is a false war. It doesn't have to be there that we can afford a job guarantee for immigrants. We can afford a job guarantee for all so that none are the bottom rung and that all are taken care of, that all people have the benefits, all people have a reasonably good job that is fulfilling in their community. These are all tactics, okay? But neoliberalism doesn't want you to know about a job guarantee. Instead, it advances a UBI. Neoliberalism advances a UBI. Why? Because ultimately, capital wins when everybody has more money, but they have no power. See, UBI take, gives you no power. As you saw with the rising inflation right now, if I gave you $1,000 before the inflation started, you'd be like, oh, okay. But once inflation starts, now what? Where's your guarantee for anything? There is no guarantee because you are now beholden the private sector to serve your needs, period. But a job guarantee? Well, shit, that just done set the entire economy to the labor standard. Okay? Now the labor standard is the de facto base from which all economic activity erupts. And this right here takes away the scapegoating. This here takes away the you're taking my job, you're taking my lunch, you're stealing my inheritance, whatever. But see, neoliberalism needs that demonization to fuel it. But then what happens when a Biden comes into office? I keep saying, oh, my God, these people are failing us. They're failing us. But that's because we keep assuming they're serving us. It's because we keep thinking that they're somehow or another on our team. But they're not. They are succeeding wildly in helping corporate America and the finance sector flourish at the expense of labor, at the expense of Main Street, 
at the expense of all of us. And so naturally, when this gentle, loving, neoliberal world comes together and it fails every poor white person, fails all the black people in this country, the, especially the poor, fails the homeless, fails everyone on health care, et cetera, you're in a first-past-the-post mindset. All of a sudden, you're looking around, where do I go? Sure, some people will say, I'm going to go independent, but they've seen over and over again. Green Party was able to be kept off the ballot in Pennsylvania, period. Where's your third party? It's nowhere because you don't have power. You have no control over the electoral process that's run by Democrats and Republicans by law. So how do you displace them? This is why I oftentimes say we need to organize and take to the streets and do things beyond the electoral process because the electoral system is broken right now. No matter how much desire you have for it to be your be-all, end-all, it is broken. And it is producing exactly what it was meant to produce, which is garbage. So ultimately, you have this fringe of Jordan Petersons, you have this fringe of Shapiro's, Ben Shapiro's, and all the other little Reich wingers. By themselves, they're nothing. They're like squeaking mice. But you add in the neoliberal shitstorm of fecklessness and all the false promises. And the worst part is they conflate Biden as part of the left. There's nothing about Joe Biden that is a lefty. Not at all. Zero. Okay? There's nothing left about neoliberalism. Neoliberalism is a right-wing thing. So you got two right-wing parties fighting over an inch of turf and people that aren't really all that sharp are sitting there pretending that the Democrats are good and the Republicans are bad when they're both shit. They're both there to create chaos, to funnel money to the top and to eliminate the public purpose. That is fascism. That is neoliberalism, which is proto-fascism. And when neoliberals fail to deliver on the promises they make, then all those people that only cast a begrudging vote for the shithead to begin with say, hey, well, if it's going to be fuck you, well, then fuck you hard. Let me go Republican. Let me become fascist. Let me fucking join the problem. Let me join something that gives me some power because I have no power. I have no power at all. I have no power. What do I do? And this is when you start seeing them, the incels unite. And this is when the Jordan Petersons of the world suddenly become sexy instead of a wrinkled up raisin brand piece of shit motherfucker, okay? Suddenly, these guys sound smart. Suddenly they sound, they're asking questions. I'm just asking a question. You know that saying, the grass is always greener on the other side. We always fantasize about what it would be like over there. So-and-so failed you, so let's go ahead and go over here, right? This is what happens when people don't have leftist theory to understand society, to look at class, to look at the struggle of each individual, to understand the contradictions baked within. 
this is what happens when we analyze it just based on what the television tells us to analyze it with. When we listen to other clickbaiters on YouTube and we listen to other clickbaiters in the fucking mainstream media and we regurgitate that shit and it becomes the narrative. This is what happens because it doesn't look anything like it. To me, I have not stopped talking about the Green New Deal. Why? Because I don't give a flying fuck which party's in power. I'm here to tell you that the Green New Deal with eight years left with climate crisis crushing us. You don't even realize how bad it's crushing you. Wait until fascism has an opportunity to watch migrants from countries where there's extreme drought and famine when they start migrating into territories where their religions don't go well together. And all of a sudden war breaks out. Wait till the fascism really kicks in hard. You ain't seen nothing yet until you've seen climate change in action. Wait, wait until that happens. Okay. Once that happens, that is when you're going to see the real uptick in global fascism if we don't address it now. And defending Democrats as not being fascist or not being proto-fascist or not being neoliberals and not understanding the relationship between neoliberalism and fascism allows them to keep doing this over and over and over and over and over again. It is our responsibility as people that understand this stuff to not let it happen on our watch to teach each other about these things so people are aware biden being tough on crime isn't helping us the prison to, uh, the school to prison pipeline isn't helping us sending a kid to school with grape drank and sugared up and not getting a good night's sleep and fearful about the gunshots outside his door and then punishing him because he's acting up in class because his parents are fighting because their fucking finances are sucking ass. Well, this right here, my friends, is a result of fascism. So I want you to understand as we go deeper and deeper and deeper down this hole, these two groups. Republicans and Democrats, they aren't an ideology. They are two factions of the same neoliberal fascist ideology. There's a whole separate area over here that doesn't have fascism in it, but those parties are not part of it. They are neoliberal and fascist together, proto-fascist and straight-up fascist, but neoliberal at all costs. It's going to take an outside group to advance the public purpose because neither of these groups are capable or willing. Neither of them are capable of winning, are capable or willing, excuse me. So don't trust me on this, please. I don't want you to ever just blindly trust anything I say. That's not my goal here. I just have a thought. I have an idea. I have an analysis. If my analysis is wrong, you tell me I'm wrong. I'm happy to be wrong. I want to be wrong, damn it. I'd love to be wrong. I'm not. But I'd love to be because the view of this world that I have is extremely bleak. It's one of tsunamis. It's one of horrible conditions, arid conditions, drought, famine, war, water wars, climate crisis, you name it, poverty, extreme poverty. That's the world that I see coming. And when I say to people, hey, man, I see all the revolutionaries on vacation. It's because I don't think people are taking this shit seriously. It's not because I'm against vacations, dudes, dudettes. It's because 
I'm tired of seeing people pat themselves on the back and say they don't have time to volunteer and help make things happen, but simultaneously find all the time in the world to get crunk and drunk and hang out and party and do all kinds of other shit, but not meaningfully fight back as part of this revolution that we've got to fight. And it's a cerebral one. It's a communications one. And it's one that if we let go, fascism will sweep us away like a fucking riptide. If it hasn't already started to do that, I really, really want you all to accept that if we don't dig deeper into what I'm talking about, if we don't take this seriously, this is the stuff to unite around. We don't need a million fucking think tanks. We need to know the Green New Deal. Fucking layer through that motherfucker and make them demands, not suggestions. That includes job guarantee, getting rid of student debt, and because fuck all of student debt, right? That means doing the right things together collectively and making demands and being unrelenting in those demands. Can we do it? I don't know. But what other choice do we have? That is my last hope at saving society and providing my children with a future that I can be proud of handing to them. As it stands right now, it looks really bleak. It looks extremely bleak. It's not because I'm a naysayer. It's not because I'm a doom and gloomer. It's because I don't see people taking it seriously. I see people more intent on going to a, 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 a thing so they can go, selfie, vote for summer, everybody leaning in, all that shit. That's what I see. Now, if I'm wrong, please show me the error in my ways. But my guess is that you've been to many protests and the vast majority of them look like they're in the front row of a concert with their cell phones out. They got the pink pussy hats on. They got the whatever t-shirt. Got the selfie. Some of them even probably have the action figure. I don't know. It's a marketing ploy. It's not real. I want you guys to know that I'm in this, and if I'm wrong, I am begging you, help me be right. I never want to be wrong. I never want to be on the wrong side of something. I want to fight through it. I want to get to truth, even if that truth is unpopular. I'm willing to be that bad guy that pisses people off, not because I want to piss people off inherently, but because I want truth more than anything in the fucking world. I can't stand being gaslit, can you? Being gaslit sucks. Sucks big way. So I'm hoping you guys listen to me, dissect what I say, rip it apart. I don't care, but help me build. Help me build. I'm begging you, help me fucking build. Let's get this motherfucker going. I have a lot of my own limitations, trust me. But what I can do, I do every day. I try my best. I'm just one dude. I need your help. I mean this. We need each other. It's not a Steve thing. It's we need each other. We need an MMT-informed revolutionary force to educate one another and to not just accept bullshit anymore, but to speak truth to power and be ready to pay a sacrifice for doing so. That's it. That's, that's it, man. That's my take. 
I'm going to be on Political Misfits later, guys. So if you guys are checking out Political Misfits, check me out over there as well. But in the meantime, I am going to get the hell out of here because i got to get back to work. Talk to you later. I'm out. The Rogue Scholar is a production of Real Progressives. If you would like to support our work, please visit patreon.com slash realprogressives.